The Dangerous Twisted Mystery Podcast. Less cozy, more ugly. Warping listeners' minds since 2022. Music by Dangerous. Narrated by Twisted. Chapter 25. I, Pi. Tyke sat in front of a blossoming bank of computer monitors in an unfinished 18 by 24 industrial-looking room. He read something on screen and then snickered in a condescending tone at the ignorance of the average guy who posted on his forum. He had no experience thinking like an average guy. Tyke was the screen name he used when he'd halted half of the NYC transportation systems in order to impress a cheerleader. He was 15 at the time. Now, in his mid-twenties, he still had never dated a cheerleader, but he had spent time in the federal penitentiary. Since then, he had been recruited to create computer security devices clever enough to fool people like himself. In his free time, he ran a public internet forum, IF, where geek speak was the currency in which respect was bought and sold. It was the place where Tyke was the richest man in the world. The place where tech heads of all shapes and colors posted questions about technology ranging from the Apollo program era to the nanotechnology boom that Tyke predicted would destroy the world before anyone had much of a chance to enjoy it. His theory was that the moment people could fit a nuclear-powered device into a box of crackers, people would no longer trust snacks. Since snack foods were necessary for the sustenance of all of the people who understood technology, there would be a mass starvation of nerds. Then, the nanos would battle the regular people for the dominance of the planet. But a planet without ding-dongs would be hard to fight for, so Tyke favored the nanos in the final confrontation, unless Patrick Stewart survived, in which case, the odds shifted back into humanity's favor. Tyke's fingers rattled across a keyboard, typing a snotty response to a question about the proposed resolution of the new HD3 chip shipping in all DILA projectors in Q4 in the fall. Questions about resolution are about as interesting to me as my shrink's analysis of my problems with authority, but then he went on to answer the technical question in mind-numbing detail. Tyke conservatively estimated that he typed 120 words per minute. He distrusted measuring devices, so he would never know for sure. The phone rang. His ponytail flipped in counter-motion. Tyke's crib, he said into the receiver. Legacy was on the other end. And how are we today? Just living the UAD. Now what do you want, FBI? You're the only guy I know who can handle this, Legacy replied. I'm the only guy who can handle most things. My skill set pisses off the impossible. He shifted his frame arrogantly in his ergonomically designed mesh-back chair. Is that why you're sitting at home in a faded NAB t-shirt answering questions about projector settings in the middle of the day? You posted that question, you dog. You know I hate questions about optics. And you can't lay off of them because you're fascinated with your own weaknesses. Legacy liked that about him. Look, I need something done fast. Legacy and Tyke had worked together at the NSA for a short stint. They had a kind of kindred bond because everyone treated them as a unique commodity. They'd played chess at lunch for almost a year until Tyke lost a game and vowed to never talk to Legacy again. It was a part of their relationship that always seemed to crop up right about this time in the conversation. So, uh, how'd you beat me? Tyke demanded. 
That was almost ten years ago. Are you still thinking about that? Legacy, of course, knew that he still was. Tell me. Just tell me if you cheated, and I'll do anything you want. Tyke jacked into his headset and paced in front of the screens. Legacy made him wait for the answer. I cheated, he finally said. Tyke danced around the room like he'd just won the lottery. On a side note, he had won two separate grand prize lottery drawings, and no one had ever been able to prove fraud. I knew it. How did you do it? That wasn't part of the deal. Legacy could practically feel the blood draining from Tyke's face. He knew that years of free time would be spent reliving the terms of the agreement they'd just struck. Tyke returned to the conversation in a grudging tone. I can figure it out, now that I know. That's strange, because I was working under the impression that you'd assumed I was always cheating over the last ten years, and you still hadn't figured it out. Legacy twisted the knife deeper as Tyke confronted his silent pain. I need to know how to get every TV channel in the country playing on my TV. What do I need? Well, you'd have to go old school, band two, broadcast satellite with a rack set of decoders, and you still wouldn't be able to get HBO. Why? What are you thinking? Legacy wasn't ready to spell out everything. There was only one person who needed to know what was in his head. Chapter 26 Visiting Team Legacy met Agent Wagner at the door of his apartment. There were no visible signs of her having been on the road, nor of her having worked 36 out of the past 40 hours. Legacy marveled at the visual of her coming through the door. She was the first woman in his house in years. He hadn't been aware that the inside of his place was more like a crypt than an apartment until someone crossed the threshold and entered. Something about her enthusiasm breathed life into the place for a moment. Chess peered through the crack in her bedroom door to get a glimpse of Wagner as she walked side by side with her father to the study. Legacy said in a loud voice, Good night, Chess, as he passed her room. It forced her to retreat before replying, Good night, Dad. The study was wall-to-wall videotapes, pictures, and copies of official testimonies. Every part of the wall was covered with documents from the case. Video stills covered all the windows like a collage made in a manner that only Legacy's subconscious could decipher, if there was any order at all. Anything that might catch his eye or bring the facts of the case into convergence, bring the walls crashing in, was posted on those four walls. Five girls surrounded his living area, and the bed was made, buried under the paperwork of the investigation. I guess you do bring it home. Her tone was the same as his daughter, just before calling him a freakazoid. Legacy stopped short for a moment. What had surprised Wagner? He didn't see anything odd in the room. It was all connected and laid out based on the competitive relationship between fact, which allowed a radial pattern around the pictures, and theory, which climbed the walls and ended up in the ceiling looking down on the hard facts. It was all chronological, working in a clockwise fashion around the room beginning at Magnetic North, it seemed pretty obvious to Legacy. It seemed that having a partner was going to be hard work. All of the victims were on local TV, four days before their abduction. This one, he pointed to Missy, was interviewed on her prom queen victory while practicing to ride a motorcycle in the resulting parade. Sure that's not national? Wagner quipped. Legacy ignored it. And Carla filled in for a weather girl. 
Britt was live on the scene of a fire. Tracy was interviewed at a protest against habitat destruction in the Bay Area. Legacy looked up from his notes. All local TV news. Legacy let that sink in. All of the hours Wagner's team had spent trying to find a thread to tie together the victims to the abductors, and there was nothing. No more contact than a roulette ball had with the eventual cup it lands in. This pack grabbed an image off a screen and then hunted it to extinction. Legacy went on to explain the technical details that made it possible to get all the channels in the country on satellite. There were over 2,000 pre-digital 40-foot dishes that could be hacked in order to do the job. Most of them were sold in the late 70s, and tracking them down by owners would be near impossible. Anyway, Blue would have covered his tracks so well on this purchase. We'll never pin it to him, Legacy said distractedly. You give him too much respect, Wagner added. Legacy's head snapped up. Nothing she could have said would have offended him more. Contempt. There was an edgy restraint in his voice. It's not respect. He pointed to a picture that hung on the wall, right beside the door, like a sentry he had to pass every time he left the room. It was blue. His eyes burned into the image. Wagner had to snap him out of it. I didn't mean it like that. He swung his gaze onto her face. It fit so well with the pictures of pretty women around the room. Legacy looked at the crest of her forehead as it sloped down into apologetic green eyes. He almost blushed and remembered 3 a.m. Lovely. It was a joke he'd heard when he was in basic training. The human mind finds beauty in anything around 3 a.m. It was the best time to threaten the life of a prisoner who had fear of death. Even a miserable existence has merit at 3 a.m. Whenever they asked an interrogation specialist what time it was, they would say 2.59 and laugh. Happy memories of his former life were hard to come by. Wagner reached out and touched him on the shoulder. I meant that you understand his capabilities better than anyone. Wagner brushed invisible lint from his shirt. Legacy took the awkward silence. Wait, did he really just think that silence was awkward? He'd have to come back to that thought. He took the break to add to her education. In the world of interrogation, knowing a person is more of a deductive process than additive. I learn what a person won't do a lot quicker than I get to know what they will. I knew Blue wouldn't leave a trail, but I can't tell you what he did to cover it up. It's all about input. Nothing escapes him. Does that make sense? Legacy was actively soliciting a response in the conversation. It must be around 3 a.m. He ran up against something she'd said earlier on the phone. She claimed that he was just trying to impress her. Was he? Was that possible? It makes perfect sense, Wagner added in reassurance. He looked at her a moment, then realized she was responding to what he had said aloud and not to what he was thinking subsequently. They'll move on their next victim in seven days. All the previous girls were on TV between 7 and 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time, four days before their abduction. With a thousand local channels out there, what do you think our chances are of choosing the same one they do? Wagner asked. Legacy didn't have an answer. At this point, he knew who the vinyl men wouldn't choose, not who they would. Predicting the negative was a particularly frustrating brand of certainty. It gets worse, he confided. I can't verify that Laura was on TV before her abduction. We could be chasing around a system that they've already abandoned.
Chapter 27. Kick Rocks. Blue sat in the rec room at the complex. It was a stained, pegboard-lined open area where children used to play church dodgeball and have nightly Bible story readings. Now, it was an Orwellian version of hell. Over a hundred mismatched TV screens lined the long wall, stacked with the kind of care that most people reserve for their high school yearbooks or office policy handbooks. Dust collected in the musty corners, particles weighed down by the thick, billowing cigarette smoke. Blue scanned the images, all obscured by snowy interference. This is what Mac had been talking about. The TV distribution amplifier was on the fritz. He couldn't get a good image unless he turned off all but one set. What good was one TV set to Blue? His mind worked too quickly for one story or one input of any kind. He tried closing his eyes and turning up the audio on multiple channels, but that was filled with static and crackle. This was no good at all. He found himself impatient for Mac to return. Then he could blanket his mind with images and ward off the headache that always seemed to come when there was no avalanche of other stimuli. He could feel it pounding beneath his temples already. It may have been the reminder of the heart that caused him all the pain. What he could not see would have fed the pain until it became a razor-sharp retribution. Police surrounding the biker bar in the Dakotas, near the drop point he'd carefully planned for young Tracy. The event went totally unnoticed, or he would have been waiting for Mac's return with a knife in his hand. Instead, he turned his attention back to the closed-circuit feed of Laura. In his boredom, he'd been merciless with the sessions, scheduling them one after the other. He'd given permission and strict instructions on how to pierce her nipples on camera. The second one was almost complete when he turned his attention towards her eyes. She watched the fishhook barb go through the hole, and Blue saw the recognition of what it would take to get it out again. It was a fleeting moment, a flutter of her eyes before locking out her emotions again. She was a challenge like none of the other girls had presented. The other girls were like drilling teeth. The minute Blue got beneath the surface, there was pain. Laura was killing off her senses, one by one. She was dying in front of the lens, piece by piece. Finding a pocket of life was like tapping cold blue water beneath an ancient sun-baked desert. Her eyes were deep wells, still full beneath the surface. She was beautiful. Chapter 28 Conjugal Visit Mac filled up the tank, his hands clamped, regretting the cold metal pump no longer had the clip to hold the flow steady. He had to do it the old-fashioned way, standing over the nozzle, smelling the metal fumes with his cigarette ash dangling an arm's length away from ignition. If Darwin were right, a fireball was imminent. Click. The tank was finally full. He handed over the cash to an aging clerk. Thanks, come again. Something about her tone made him want to steal something on the way out of the store. He fought the impulse because Blade would kill him for even thinking about it. Mac wondered if the news of the slip-up had trickled back to home base. He forced himself to put it out of his mind. Anyway, the only news that arrived at camp was through the TV, and until he picked up the mail and got it back there, there was no reception. The thought steadied him as he tucked a chocolate-covered snack cake into his pocket and left the gas station. Mac scanned the landscape. His head turned back and forth walking to the van. Someone looking at him might think he was afraid of detection or nervous about the stolen snack cake, but it was really Mac's clumsy way of looking for someone. He didn't have a lot of practice at being discreet. 
Mac pulled the van into the parking lot of the mail-it store, pulling his pants up twice before entering. He came out moments later with a package, almost an arm in length. He delicately placed it on the seat next to his, as this was precious cargo. This was the key to getting the beloved TV back into operation. Only one more errand left. He cruised around the back alleys, knocked on the doors to gas station restrooms. She couldn't be far away. This was where he'd met her. This was where he'd dropped her off. She said she'd wait for him. She couldn't be far. Almost an hour later, he found her, huddled in the back alley behind the Walmart store, face masked off by a hood strings pulled tight. Her legs tangled and almost fell in excitement to get into the van. Mac, she screamed. Mac grabbed her into a bear hug and pulled her in through the passenger window. He pulled the hood back and the bright orange streaks of hair fell down around her shoulders. It was the first time he'd looked at Darcy in a long time. He kissed the piercing above her right eyebrow. Dove, you're sitting on something important. He pulled out the package from under her, copping a feel. That was worth it. Darcy laughed. Not that you could do much damage. What do you weigh, 50 pounds? He pulled her onto his lap, light as a feather. She squished into his round mass, and Mac made a clumsy fish for a compliment. You could fit in my belly, you tasty dove. He was at least four times her weight, but a beaming smile made it clear that it didn't matter a bit to Darcy. He was her man. I guess I need a big man to hold on to, to keep me from blowing away. His mood changed. He buried his face into her stomach like a petulant child. I thought you'd given up on the plan. I couldn't find you, Mac complained. They talked in the warm van, and Mac fed her a snack cake. All was forgiven, but Mac only had a few hours. The van rolled away, with promises of the future still lingering in Darcy's ear. She just had to stick to the plan, and Mac promised that she wouldn't be forgotten. She shivered, although not from exposure. She was thinking about a future reward. Somehow, it felt equal parts a threat. Maybe in her gut, she knew that her involvement with Mac would end up being a bounty on her pretty little head. Planning a strategy for contacting every local broadcast station on a certain day and asking them to pull any story containing the image of a young, pretty woman was the kind of task that Wagner in her usual enthusiastic kinetic mode, would have jumped into recklessly, breathlessly, searching through unending waters. Legacy watched her on the edge. She looked ready to take the plunge, and Legacy chose that moment to remind her that the television connection was shared by all of these women except one, Laura. So your breakthrough is broken, Wagner couldn't believe what she was hearing. You know what we call that? Not a breakthrough. It must be there. I just can't find it. Her planner is much like, I suspect, how you keep your planner. Every moment accounted for. Every day. Legacy picked up a faded blue planner off of his desk. I can't find it. And without it, all we have is an abandoned method. He hasn't abandoned it. It's not like Blue to leave behind something that's working for him. He shows the meticulous care of a practiced addict, and addicts have their routines and their drug of choice. Legacy thumbed through the pages of the planner, and it fell open to a picture of a young man in a sharp business suit. It looked like a coincidence. It felt like a random chance, but Legacy distrusted both of those principles. He'd grown accustomed to following unconscious choices. Call the boyfriend in for an interview. 
It was like he was hearing a whisper from the page. Maybe the boyfriend was part of the secret. Wagner offered the kind of exposition that annoyed Legacy. Of course, if anyone would know where and when Laura's image was being broadcast, it would be the insecure or possessive corporate boyfriend. Maybe, Legacy replied. Richard Merciel was neither insecure nor possessive. His charisma came from a place that was none too bright, albeit honest and keenly self-aware. There was the odd person who didn't immediately take a shine to Richard. Stranger still, the person who didn't eventually grow to like him. It didn't hurt at all that he was tall, chiseled, and had a long stride and a firm handshake, which he offered to Legacy after touching Wagner on the shoulder in a collegial fashion. His confidence and warmth made almost any gesture seem appropriately earnest. They met in the conference room to avoid exposing him to a barrage of crime scene recovery photos that plastered the walls of their office. Legacy didn't like leaving his office. Wagner had asked him for a phone interview, but since Richard only worked two hours away, he suggested that he come and talk in person. Legacy saw the action for what it was, a man's desperate attempt to involve himself in the solution to a problem he couldn't possibly solve, but equally couldn't get out of his head. He saw the look in Richard's eyes and thought back to an image reflected of himself. The lowest part of his life was standing in front of him, eyes darting from Legacy to the table, then back to Wagner. Legacy could tell that he was disappointed that there wasn't a room full of people all engaged actively on the phones, internet, and satellite converging into some huge secret government surveillance, hunting down the people who had taken Laura. The handshake was brief and formal. Agent Legacy? he asked. Is there some movement in the case? Backward, Legacy said with a tone of finality. Robert bowed his head. He was a lawyer, not an optimist, and it only took a second to shake him down to the lowest level of human expectation. Futility. Wagner shot a look at Legacy, gauging whether he was being heartless on purpose. He explained later that he needed to strip away all hope from the boyfriend so that he would stop trying to help and report only honest recollection. Wagner added, Laura appears to be in no immediate danger. Robert's frustration took a natural arc into anger. What exactly would you call immediate danger? Wagner looked away. This certainly wasn't her crowning moment. Legacy's words came quickly, allowing Robert no time to think. We think she was chosen by random on a television screen. There weren't any television appearances scheduled in her planner, and she kept meticulous notes. Robert interrupted. If it wasn't in the book, she wasn't there. Handwriting experts, Legacy held up his hand and waited, agree that nothing was added or changed in the book, so we're at a dead end. We can't think of a way that her image could get on a screen without her knowing about it. He strummed through the pages of the planner. It appears like she didn't do anything that wasn't written down. Legacy's voice droned on, a calculated move to draw Robert's attention to the sounds of the words themselves. She was taken from in front of my apartment. I keep wondering if I'd been at the window. But you weren't. You really haven't had anything to contribute. Even with all the chances you've had, all you've done is run around giving apologetic, useless statements. That's all we have from you in the reports. You're so concentrated on your actions. Legacy fanned the police reports in the air. But there's nothing in here that will bring her back to you. Then Legacy leveled a snack at Robert's forehead. I think you keep making this about yourself, and it's a waste. He turned away. Let's call this interview. Wagner, stamp the time. 
His pronouncement, Robert knew, was final. Robert looked like his blood was boiling under the surface of his skin. Then, just as suddenly as the energy gathered, it was channeled elsewhere. The tapes! The PSA tapes! He looked up with a sincere expression of discovery. Legacy looked a pleased shade of smug. An hour later, Legacy and Wagner sat in their office with a new strategy developing. Why didn't we know about those tapes? The same reason we don't know everything. Wagner didn't let him in with a follow-up question. We can't know everything. Circular logic, Legacy pointed out. Did you do that on purpose back there? Did you manipulate him? Wagner asked. You can't force someone into anywhere in their mind. He drank from a steaming cup of coffee. Patterns that restrict the mind break down only under the right conditions. He swirled the cup. Like your own behavioral patterns. He paused, knowing that he was entering very dangerous territory. There's coffee in arm's reach away, and yet you refuse it. Why do you have to have froth and milk and steam and markings all over a four-dollar cardboard cup concoction before a coffee is worth drinking? Wagner's phone rang. She picked it up while beckoning for a sip of Legacy's coffee. Legacy reluctantly handed over his cup. Uh-huh, she said into the receiver. Great. She walked over to the drinking fountain and dumped the cup down the drain. The PSA with Agent Laura Dorner was on the air in two cities that night. I'm going to buy you a cappuccino. White foam splashed up the silver lining of an oval-bottomed pitcher as it was pulled from a hissing spout of steam. Streams of specialty jargon spilled out of Wagner. Double half-calf, two percent almond milk latte, extra hot. How many drinks did you just order? Legacy butted in. A smirk from Wagner, and she rattled off another order with a similar level of cafe-wise specificity. And tonight, we make it breve. She added at the last moment before losing the attention of the harried barista. Getting the exact right amount of fat is the secret. Handing Legacy a cup. What does breve mean? Legacy inquired. It means they use half and half instead of milk. She purred with contentment, drinking from her cup. Smooth as silk. We're getting closer. Legacy took his first drink. Almost as good as coffee. Wagner's cell phone rang, and she paused briefly as she saw the caller ID. It's Bailey. He's been digging up some information on biker groups linked to abductions. Legacy always scowled when he heard Bailey's name, but there was something more. His stare made Wagner uncomfortable. I'll come by your apartment in a half hour. Legacy nodded. The minute she was out the door, he went up to the teen behind the counter and asked if he could trade his drink for a regular-sized coffee. The boy just stared. Legacy found amusement in the apparent banishment of the words small, medium, and large from the menu. The young barista cleared his throat. He presented Legacy with a hot cup of coffee. In a soon-to-be-regretted hint of deference to Wagner, he splashed some almond milk into the cup. He thought about returning the coffee again. But one look at the line, and Legacy decided to take a long walk home. Agent Bailey always appeared to be in the middle of a conversation, mouth pursed waiting the next point of contention. A self-satisfied smile perched on his lips like he was winning some kind of internal argument. The smile disappeared abruptly when someone entered the room, as Wagner did now. Wagner suspected the behavior was a calculated way of throwing anyone who entered his domain off guard. It made every greeting into an interruption, 
and every entrance into an intrusion. Dear Agent Wagner, thank you for dropping by at this late hour. A smoky clove scent hung in the air. The dim yellow lamp cast a different light upon Agent Bailey. His eyes shone like a cat's from the shadows. I don't know why you didn't just bring Legacy in here, Wagner began. He saw that she needed a little push. I've got something for you, a psych profile on Legacy. It was done right after his meltdown. Have you read it? Wagner asked. I'm content in my own world, Agent, he bluffed. Wagner snapped back. You've read it. Probably, Bailey smirked, just to get perspective. Remember, though, the explanation of cancer doesn't cure it. Everyone talks about him like he's damaged, Wagner answered. Read the file, and if you want to defend him after you've seen all the damage he's done, he was a traitor, you know, way before what happened to his wife. Wagner raised her eyes in silence that lasted a full revolution of the earth. I don't believe you, Wagner replied. Why, agent? He was stone-faced. Talk to me. He set his ashtray on top of Legacy's file. Wagner had just enough curiosity weighing on her to convince herself that this was an investigation and not a betrayal that she was embarking upon. An hour later, after giving Bailey a complete briefing on the state of the investigation, Wagner left with the folder in her hands. She was already late, but she decided to stop at the corner coffee shop to sit down and read. Chapter 29 Escape Plan Laura cowered in the middle of her living space. She had moved from sleeping on the squeaky cot to the middle of the floor. There, she hid her head and upper body under three layers of sheets, each doubled over twice. Her legs protruded from the bundle, naked and pale. Blue watched through the closed-circuit TV monitor as the head shook from side to side in a rhythmic no gesture. He marked it down to a control phase that she was going through, an effort to dictate the terms, even if they were only the smallest ones, of her daily routine. As an experiment, on the second day of this behavior, he'd turned down the heat in the dead of night. Her legs had turned silvery blue, but she did not rise and cover herself with the blankets which were stacked in the corner of the room. She hadn't touched them since their delivery. Blade tapped on the screen where the shape of her head skimming underneath the sheets moved back and forth. He raised his voice to Mac, who sat across the hall in the rec room. Has anyone suggested that we take a major whiz on the pretty copper's face? Mac replied, Hundreds. Blue licked his forefinger, then again smeared the screen. Get the boys together. Mac turned. It's three in the morning. A glance across the room at Blue told Mac that arguing was the last thing he wanted to involve himself in. I'm going. He walked out of the room, passing the sign, Exit to Cabins. Blue whispered to the screen, No means yes, you little cocktease. Laura kept her head under the sheets, tented beneath layers of white cotton. She had a coveted secret. The sliver of wood lifted from the floor when she had scuffled with Blue had exposed a thin crack leading to the outside. By gently scuffing the braces on her front teeth, she'd opened up enough of a gap to see the ground beneath the raised trailer. She could tell when it got dark and when it was getting light. This might not seem like a lot, but Laura knew her next escape 
would be her last chance, and her only advantage was if she could time it under the cloak of night. Being seen wasn't the only obstacle in a clean getaway. Blue kept a trio of Rottweilers in one of the structures that she passed when he escorted her back and forth to the studio. A squeaky, hinged door was the only thing that separated the snarling pack from the civilized world. Other than an obvious fear of their master, they displayed a consistent hostility equal to the expectations of their breed. She had heard them each time charging out onto the compound at the first sound of movement. Then there was the unknown geography around her cage. She had discerned only a few certainties. The sound of dissimilar doors opening and shutting in the distance meant that there were a number of structures, and the complete lack of mechanical noises, no cars, no trains, gave her an indication that she was somewhere truly remote, but not remote enough to need a generator for electricity. Then there was the dirt. In her walks between the buildings, she had been able to squeeze some of the dirt from the path between her toes. She had studied it carefully under the sheet. It was dry and compacted, like the area between buildings used to be a parking lot or maybe a well-traveled footpath. Blue was careful not to give her the briefest peek at the world around her. There was no certainty that any cover other than darkness would hide her when she made her run. She could wander out into anything, or worse, she could stay. Laura rubbed her teeth obsessively against the wood slit on the floor. A little more of an opening, and she'd be able to tell the color of the sunlight and the color would identify dawn or sundown. Then, some day, they'd come for her with the fullness of night in front of her, and she'd slip into blackness like the blankets they'd stacked up in the corner, clean, warm, and safe.